Welcome to the Jolly Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Barrett. This podcast is for those who are interested in the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and equity. Each week, I'll be interviewing a guest who has something special to share or is actively part of building solutions in this space. Let's get started. This week on the Jolly Podcast, I'm happy to partner with the Stockton chapter of the Lynx Incorporated to increase awareness on the serious problem of human trafficking. January is National Human Trafficking Prevention Month, and we need to raise our voices for those who have been silenced. The Trafficking Victims Protection Act defines human trafficking as a commercial sex act induced by force, fraud, or coercion, or when a person induced to perform such an act is not yet 18 years old, or the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or obtaining of a person for labor or services through the use of force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of subjection to involuntary servitude, peonage, debt bondage, or slavery. Now a word from the president of the Stockton chapter of the Lynx Incorporated. Welcome. My name is Karen Ray, and I am the president of the Stockton, California chapter of the Lynx Incorporated. Thank you for joining us today to hear from experts about the importance of understanding the process, cause, and impact of human trafficking on individuals and our community. The Stockton, California chapter has served people of African-American descent in communities in San Joaquin and Stanislaus counties since 1966. Our young boys and girls need our support and the experts with us today will provide the tools we need to spread awareness about this very, very important topic. The Stockton, California chapter thanks you for your attendance and encourage you to share this podcast with individuals and as many organizations as you can. The Stockton chapter of the Lynx Incorporated selected a panel of three outstanding women. I want to tell you about these women who come from different perspectives, but are all doing amazing things to create solutions in the space of human trafficking. Akia Pride Polk was born and raised in Stockton, California, and she received her Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and Journalism from the University of Southern California, then later received her Master's in Social Work from UC Berkeley. She's worked in the field of child welfare for over 21 years, started off as a social worker in Alameda and Yolo counties. In 2008, she was hired as an adoption supervisor in San Joaquin County and later promoted to Child Welfare Division Chief in 2011. In 2020, Akia was appointed as Deputy Director for Children's Services, in which she currently oversees Child Protective Services for San Joaquin County. She is currently married with two teenage sons. Adrian Livingston has been the director of anti-sex trafficking initiatives 
Global with World Venture. Adrian is a co-developer of the Girl Empowerment Curriculum, which was created for Christian and secular communities as a sex trafficking and domestic violence prevention curriculum for middle and high school girls. She is the producer and host of the Justice Hope Freedom podcast to educate about the issues of sex trafficking and exploitation. She received her bachelor's degree in marketing, international business, and international studies from Oregon State University, and her Master of Arts in Intercultural Studies from Western Seminary. A life value she holds is giving back to community and upholding justice and care. She lives that out through the work she does and as a volunteer with organizations that are serving vulnerable communities. One way she incorporates self-care is through practicing and teaching trauma-informed yoga and by being with her two doggies, Puck and Romeo. On the artist side, she's a voiceover actor where she enjoys sharing her voice to bring stories and characters to life in commercials, e-learning, documentaries, and animation. Stephanie Powell. Dr. Powell retired from the Los Angeles Police Department as a sergeant in charge of a vice unit. Dr. Stephanie Powell's unique insight into the world of sexual exploitation and trafficking gained through her 30 years with LAPD, made Dr. Powell an unparalleled choice to lead Journey Out in 2013. Journey Out assists victims of human trafficking in finding their way out of violence and abuse due to sexual exploitation or forced prostitution. In 2020, she joined the National Center on Sexual Exploitation and is the Vice President and Director of Law Enforcement Outreach. Dr. Powell's passion and expertise in this field has translated within the last nine years to new policies for the Los Angeles Fire Department and the National Massage School Industry. She has led education and awareness workshops to various audiences of law enforcement, prosecutors, and communities throughout the country and internationally. Dr. Powell has spoken before the California Joint Legislative Committee hearing on human trafficking in the state capitol and addressed the Texas Legislative Black Caucus in Austin, Texas. Since 2013, she has educated over 11,000 people. She has received numerous awards and recognition from Los Angeles County and city officials, as well as the women of the NAACP and Masonic organizations. Dr. Powell is clearly the recognized expert on the subject of human sex trafficking. Additionally, she is the adjunct assistant professor of behavioral science at Los Angeles Trade Technical College, and her expertise on race and law enforcement has been showcased in documentaries, local newspapers, and magazines. She's most recently been highlighted in the PBS documentary, And Still I Rise, by Dr. Henry Louis Gates. Dr. Powell has been featured on HLN, Chris Cuomo, for her expertise in human trafficking, and she recently authored a human trafficking workbook for teens, My Choice, My Body, My Rules. Her workbook is currently being used on a national and international level. She was contributing author for the textbook, Teaching Beautiful, Brilliant Black Girls. Please join me in welcoming this esteemed panel. 
All right. So you wonderful women that are doing such amazing things in the world. I am just so excited and glad to have you all with me, um, especially during this important month, uh, highlighting a focus on human trafficking. And I know we talk about sex trafficking versus human trafficking, prostitution. There's so many different aspects of it. But I thought maybe we would just start by talking a little bit about the the massive issue that it is. How big is this problem, you know, globally, locally? What are some of those impacts? Well, you know, I'll start with statistics, but I just want to caution that not all numbers are counted. It's a place for us to start. Uh, so globally, I believe there are about 43 million um, that are being trafficked, and that's all types of trafficking, human trafficking. I know of that, mainly a lot of women and children. I know a statistic that globally 1.8 million children are trafficked. Within the United States, the statistics, they say between 100,000 and 300,000 children are at risk for being trafficked. And there is a lot to unpack all those numbers. So really, I think with people, we have to understand it's not somewhere else. Oftentimes when we bring up the the topic of sex trafficking, it's like, oh, it's happening in that city, in that state, but never where we are currently at. It is. You just have to understand the context and what it looks like. And it's not what media portrays. You know, the kidnapping is the biggest thing that they always portray. That is, that does happen. However, there are other ways that you just don't see it. It's invisible. Um, someone, there's boyfriending. We can go through kind of the ways, but it's it's a huge problem. When you talk about the different international criminal industries, the first is drugs. The second is human trafficking. Again, it incorporates all of human trafficking. And the third is uh, guns and arms. I believe drugs will mainly probably always stay number one because human trafficking, when someone's being trafficked, sometimes the traffickers use drug to keep the person, you know, victimized or there, keeping them addicted to sometimes a person who was a victim. I actually have a, a friend in this area who was a, a victim of trafficking. She said, Adrian, do you think I'd want to be able to be having sex with that many men in my right mind? I had to drug myself. So... You know, that is the second largest criminal industry. When you put money behind it, again, the, the it doesn't capture all of it, but we get an idea. Human trafficking brings in, it is, uh, gosh, $150 billion annually. And that was a 2014 st statistic. So it's probably increased at this mm, point. So I yeah. want to really highlight that. Of that, sex trafficking was 99 billion. So that's two thirds of even that human trafficking quantity. And so that's with the B. Billion. With the B. Well, billion. Right. Yeah. And mind you, this is tax free money. I say that because it just it goes in and out. They use it. How can you calculate it all? It's not like you have a pimper trafficker there saying, hey, here's how much money I made. So uh it's, it's something for us to understand. It is a money-making money industry. It is a business industry. Unfortunately, you know, you do have people that are using other human beings nefariously, and they don't care. They see humans, people as commodities. So, yeah. 
I will um I will add to that and when you talk about how enormous an issue this is, I just recently read something where it said that human trafficking exists in every continent of the world. It definitely exists here in the United States, like Adrian said, and there's not one state where it is not happening. So just because you may not see it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Sometimes it's extremely visible in terms of prostitution tracks, but sometimes what you don't see is what we call the end calls where they're advertising um, they'll advertise a girl or a guy because it also happens to 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 um, boys and men as well. And then they will meet that sex buyer in um, a motel or a hotel. So sometimes you don't see it. That's why you'll have some cities that will say that's not happening in my city. And so my response to them is, do you have hotels, motels? Do you have streets? Because it can occur anywhere. And I think that uh, one of the other things that um, uh, uh, Miss Normer, that people really need to understand that it's not just happening to children, that it also uh, happens to adults as well in terms of an entryway. And I'm sure we will talk about that as well when we talk about the, the risk factors. So it is happening everywhere. And I think if people really understand that and recognize it, they would want to get involved. And especially when they hear what I'm about to say to you right now, which is, and I'll and I'll I'll do statistics as well, just to give you an idea. I've seen statistics at 50%, I've seen as high as 62%. That 50 to 60% of victims in of human trafficking in the United States are African American. So this is an an, an African American issue that really needs to be addressed. Thank yeah. you for that. And Akia, I know you have perspective from the uh maybe you can provide from the local county level, but I you work specifically with children. That is correct. So locally, I reside in San Joaquin County, which the largest city in our county is Stockton. And so our county is actually located um, between two big freeways, um, I-5 and Highway 99. And unfortunately, locations in which there is easy access um, to different states um, is where you're more most likely to find um, traffickers who are looking for children or women, you know, children or, or other victims, which is unfortunate because of our location. Um, when it comes to children, um, as it's been mentioned, it's not just children, it's also adults. But I do want to say when it's children, we need to look at it's both girls and boys. And sometimes there are victims who report that it starts as early as age six years old. Um, and also keeping in mind, um, as it was stated, that it's not always just this um, this stranger in the night who's picking up picking up people or putting them in a the van. Sometimes people are being trafficked by people they know or their family members or people who are in their house. It could be their parent. It could be a family friend. It could be a neighbor. Um, so it could be someone who's really close to home. So that's also really important to know. Um, and then when it comes to specifically foster youth, um, Unfortunately, they do have a high risk um, of being trafficked because they are targets. Now, all anybody can be a target, 
um, are at risk of sex trafficking or, or human trafficking. I do want to point that out. However, sometimes because our foster youth tend to be a, a vulnerable population, traffickers reach out to them. They look at developing relationships with them, um, seeking them out. And then some of the youth, they look at that, look at that person as someone that they can trust. Wow. Can I share what happened to me as an adult woman? Uh, Absolutely. Thank you. So when I was 40, I was in a coffee shop meeting with a friend and dressed nice, dressed professionally. When I went to take my coffee cup, put it away, a guy approached me and he's like, oh, you have a pretty smile. I said, oh, thank you. And then he said, oh, you know, I have a movie studio and you'd be great. You should give me a call. I said, oh, okay. Gave me his card and I immediately thought, oh my God, this he this doesn't look good. This looks a little shady because his business card literally had dollar bill images in the background. <laughs> this now, mind you, I wasn't I hadn't learned about this issue of sex trafficking. So this is the key to right. this story. And I just know I'm like, okay, this is shady. But it was one of those things that intrigued me enough because when you looked at him, he looked fine. Mm-hmm. And so I go home. I'm like, okay, let me go to this website. So I put in the website address and then it literally takes me to a MySpace page. I was like, wait, did I did I put it in incorrectly? So I had to do it again and it did. And the page was just, it was nasty. I didn't know what I was looking at. So I thought, okay, this is obviously shady business. I don't know who this person is, but I'm, I threw the card away. So then six months later, I end up going to a Rotary Club that they were talking about sex trafficking. And the U.S. attorney, given the presentation at that time, she said, here's the profile of traffickers. And then on her PowerPoint, all of a sudden, I saw images of dollar bills. And then in her very next sentence, she said, and they recruit on MySpace. Let me tell you, when I was sitting in that seat, that transported me six months prior to when I had that business card in my hand. I'm like, oh, my God. That could be a pimp or trafficker. And even as an adult, I had to be careful that I thought I just knew it was shady. But I just I think, you know, I actually did go to try. I came home. I was like, do I have that business card anywhere? Because I would have given it to law enforcement. But nope, I didn't throw it away. (laughs) Um, I just thought, you know, when I talk to parents and this is the the value of the story, not just to, to parents, but to youth, is I've had so many parents say, oh, it won't happen to my child. Mm hmm. They, they know better. I get to say, do you know, as an adult woman, I had a person approach me and I didn't see that this could have been a pit or trafficker. So then on top of it, when I'm talking to youth, I say, but what if I didn't listen to my intuition? What if I didn't see that? Okay, this just didn't seem right. And I did call him up to go to his studio. What could then have happened to me? And they're like, oh, I said, yeah, maybe he asked, you know, offered me a bottle of water and that water could have been roofied and I drank it. And what could have happened? I could have been knocked out. They could have raped me, took pictures and tried to blackmail me. So even as an adult woman, I have to be careful. But I am so glad that I had that experience and I believe it was a God experience so mm-hmm. that once I did start learning about trafficking, I could point back to a personal story to say, you can't not be aware of this. You have to be vigilant and alert because there are so many ways that these individuals go out and try to manipulate and uh, put a different spin on things that can trick a person into getting into this industry, you know, from the modeling to the businesses, all of that. So that did happen to me. 
as an adult woman. Well, and and so one of the questions I have is, I mean, how can how do you tell? I mean, you clearly had this intuition, something that was telling you inside that something was not right. But I don't know that everybody gets that. Um, and so are there specific signs or things that, you know, especially you're talking about kids from the age of six. I mean, you know, and quite frankly, even as adults, I mean, if you're on a dating app or anything, to me, it's like you have no idea who you're meeting, what they're going to do. I mean, it's just such a different world. Are there are there things that people should be looking for? I think what's interesting is that recruiters come in all different ages, sizes, colors. There is no, you know, prototype of what a recruiter looks like. A recruiter can be a male. It could be a female. It could be another child. It could be a teenager. We've seen youth who are maybe 14 years old and they are recruiting 12-year-olds. Wow. Um, so, I, I, and I think that's what's what's even really scary because I think people are looking for a particular type of person, but there's not. Yeah. Well, and and I think uh, Dr. Powell said fifty to sixty percent are African American, because yeah. I don't think I hear really much discussion in in the culture about human and sex trafficking. So, um, I'll. I'll get to that in a minute and then I'll talk about why that why that is. I think when you go back to talk about who are the recruiters, who are the 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 traffickers and um uh Akia I think coined it perfectly in that there is no real one stereotype because while you're looking at because it's become it blends in so well into our lives. Mm. You know, meeting that guy you know, falling in love with that guy. And I always say, you know, when, when you know, we, and, and I'm speaking to the women right now because it, it, it can happen to, to, to men and boys as well. But as women, you know, society for one kind of primes us for this, right? Society says, you know, your value as a woman, you step your game up if you have a boyfriend or a husband. You know, if you're single, what? Why are you still? What's wrong with you, right? And so then, you know, a, a woman or a girl feels like, in order for me to, to have any value in terms of who I am, I have to have a mate. So guess what? Traffickers use that as bait, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that everybody that you meet is a trafficker that may, you know, say really nice things to you. Um, but I, I think society kind of primes women for for this thing. Um, traffickers, it's wherever it fits, if that makes sense. A a, a pimp once said, if I cannot find a weakness, I will create one. So what may work for one person may not work for another. That's why there's no canned way of, of doing this. What they do is they find your weakness. They find what is it that you need in your life. Do you need a daddy figure? Do you need to be told that you're beautiful? Do you need a boyfriend? So as you see just some of the things, and then how did this happen? Sometimes it happens on the internet. Sometimes it happens at a party. Sometimes it happens at school. Sometimes, unfortunately, it happens to special need kids as well. So there's not just one way that this happens, but how we guard against this 
is to teach our boys and girls and, and, and our women that we are enough, that you're enough regardless of whether you have a boyfriend or a husband or not. You're still enough because remember I said it, they look for that weakness. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that is, is, is really important because if you understand that, then it helps you in your aid of, of prevention. Right. And then when we look at people will say one, people will say, I didn't know that it was mostly African-American girls. I didn't know. Uh, and then the question becomes, why? Why is that? Why is that? Yeah. So and, and, and listen, some people's go to, although they won't say it, is OK, that makes sense because African-American girls, one, they grow up really fast. Um, they're oversexed anyway. Right. So it just makes total sense that it would be them. Those are the people that it doesn't come out here, but that's the quiet voices in their head. But what we have to look at is the systematic issues that we have to deal with as African-Americans. We have to deal with issues of discrimination. We have to deal with the fact that people don't say, you know, we're not pretty enough. We're, we're, we're not enough. So that's why it could be any type of economic level. Poverty. I mean, there's so many things that make us marginalized in society that also makes us at risk and vulnerable for trafficking, right? And so it's it's reasons for that. It's like generations uh-huh. of trauma. What did Malcolm X said? Malcolm X said that the Black woman is the most vulnerable and, and unprotected in our society. So why would it not be us? Not mm. to mention pimps will say, you know, I'll go to, I'll go to jail if I'm trafficking. And they don't use the word trafficking. But if I'm pimping out a white girl, probably not going to go to jail if I pimp out a black girl. What does that what does that tell you about how, you know, about how we're seen? So well, those are the reasons. But that that brings up another question about just the entire structure um, and I know you working in law enforcement for so many years, you know, I mean, we talked a little, you know, before this, a little bit about Oregon and some of the changes that are happening or trying to happen in Oregon. But, you know, I think with respect to, you know, how the system works itself, I mean, the fact that somebody can go to jail for trafficking one race versus another or not. I mean, that just seems ridiculous. Yeah, um, it, it's, it's not so much the system in, in terms of they would not prosecute somebody as a white. It's, it's, it's what people care about. Mm. So, so when you look, look, prostitution has been going on since the, the end of time. Prostitution has been an issue in the African-American community for a very long time. When it became an issue was when they realized how many white girls were now getting um, uh, drawn into the game, so to speak. That's what they call it, the game. Because when you Google African-American, when you Google human trafficking victim, you will see a blonde, blonde hair, blue eyed girl. Because she invokes empathy. We have a problem. We rename it. We have a problem. So now we're going to have, we got to put a stop to this. 
So that's what they kind of mean by that. Like nobody's really paying attention when I'm pimping out a black girl, but they're paying a lot of attention when I'm pimping out a white girl. Yeah. Wow. In addition to that, it is, you know, people don't look at all those systems that connect or intersect with trafficking and looking at how black girls' bodies are hypersexualized. They're adultified in school. So we're already um, punished in a way. We're never seen as the victim. And when we are, say, a, a black girl or even woman is, is picked up by law enforcement for the same thing a white woman is doing, the white woman will be seen as the victim. The black woman or girl will be seen as the criminal. So we actually also get criminalized more. We get um, jailed more in the system, punished more. So all these things are happening to us that people don't think of. And I think back when there was the black, the missing girls in the black community, that campaign, that's huge because how many times does a white girl or boy go missing and everyone is out looking for them, but we have all these black missing kids and no one is out there going, looking for them. Yeah. I was going to bring that up too, as far as whenever I'm on social media and I see someone sharing an image of a young black girl who's missing, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is she being trafficked? And who's looking for her? Because you're right. It's not when you see a lot of missing girls, specifically black missing girls, you don't see that on the news. You don't see search parties out searching for these girls. And I worry about that. The other thing I want to talk about specifically, you know, with the African-American culture, when it comes to trafficking, I think historically it has been glorified. Think about all those movies that came out during the 70s um, that glorify pretty much it's trafficking. It, it, you they might have called it a pimp, but is they were glorifying trafficking, and that has happened over decades. Um, and so you look, you look at music, and how that's glorified. And I'm not saying it does not happen in other genres of music because it does. But I'm just looking specifically in our African American community and how we really need to look at turning that to where um, trafficking is no longer glorified, um, and look at it what it really is. You have victims. Yeah. And part of that pimping is glorified. That's, a, you know, the pimp culture. I, I had to smile a little bit, uh, Akia, when you when you said that. I was like, oh, man, she took it there. Um, I, I think that because I, I have to agree. But then, and, but then I also think of, I, I kid you not, as you were saying that, I was thinking systems, right? I was, I was listening to... Um, a documentary because I don't have anything else to do in my life. I watch a lot of documentaries <laughs> and they were talking and they were talking to these pimps and what this pimp said just kind of brought it all back home for me. As I think of this, this systemic racism and the systemic failure of systems in our society. And he said this, he grew up in the hood and, and he said, all I saw all I saw were pimps and drug dealers and people making money. And this person was in L.A. What I see around me in L.A. is nice cars, nice home, that whole thing of L.A. I saw no other way to get there than by what I had as a role model in the community. Now, this is where I almost fell off my chair. He said, there are not enough resources in the community, and therefore, 
this is what became my choice. Now, it doesn't make it right or wrong. It doesn't. And I'm not saying that in sympathy of this person, but it goes back to the systems, the lack of resources. You know, you're working with the kids in the foster system, you know, the, the throwaway kids that that don't even have the support that's needed, that even if a pimp comes at them, promising them all of these luxury items that they have no other way to get, and they end up saying yes, they make a choice to something where there are no other choices, not because it's something they've always wanted to be in their life. So the lack of resources in the community is is something that, that needs to be you know, held up. So I, I totally uh, agree with you. Wow. That was a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, what can we do? <laughs> I mean, I know all of you are involved in specific areas of this process. Um and in many cases, I know um, several of you are a shout out to, I think it's the Journey podcast, right? What's it called? Adrian, you have a podcast uh, too. Justice, right? Hope, Freedom podcast. Justice, Hope, Freedom. Sorry. <laughs> yes. I'm getting them all mixed up. Justice, Hope, Freedom podcast. Shout out to them because I know they, you, you all are educating people about um, this as well. Um, and I know we have folks who have written books and curriculum on, you know, kind of what we can do. Um, and I love the the title, My Choice, My Body, My Rules. Love, love that. Um, and I think that if I remember correctly, that is Dr. Powell's book, right? Yes, it is my book. Yes, it's a, it's a curriculum. And then I think Adrian has a curriculum and... And uh, and I know, Akia, the work that you're doing with children um, is is just amazing. Um, and so I really want to talk a little bit about some of the solutions. What you know, what can we do? What can I do as kind of this regular person who has no idea, you know, how to even really process a lot of this? I mean, even as a mother, you know, with my own daughter and my granddaughter, like. What can I do to make sure that they are aware of their surroundings and what what they need to be paying attention to? What we can do is you don't have to reinvent the wheel. What you could do is to support the work that, uh, for instance, what Akia is doing. Support her work. Support the nonprofits that are out there that are working. Because I'm telling you right now, the human trafficking nonprofits they need the money. They need donations. They 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 really do. So you, you need to support your, your local nonprofits that are in there doing the work. I think that awareness and education of the community is extremely important. And it starts with the kids. Teach the kids. Starts with the kids. But also believe the adults that tell you they have fallen into this as well. You've got college-age girls that end up getting turned out. And so, and again, how, why do they get turned out? Because think of it just this way. So you're middle class, upper middle class. I'm just going to use that as an example. You've never seen the hood other than watching it on television. Your mama wouldn't let you go nowhere. 
So now you go to college. Ooh, Lord have mercy. Now I get to do whatever I want to do because mama is not telling me what to do. And oh my goodness, that bad guy over there is a lot more interesting than that straight A student because I went to school with a straight A student, not that guy. So we send our kids to college green. Mm. And so then when they meet that guy, who may or may not be a pimp that's able to talk them into anything. Why? Because we teach our, our kids are naive. We teach them to believe, you know, we, we, we teach them to believe. And, and with this idea that we hear about bad guys, but I never saw one. And this guy doesn't look like a bad guy because he's treating me so nicely. Right. So education has to happen, not only with the little ones, but with our teenage um, once, and then we need to talk to our girls who are about to go to college. Akia, one of the things I wanted to ask is, I mean, we talk about education even for the kids. What What is an appropriate age? I mean, how do you bring, not that you talk about all of the, all of the challenges, but how do you make sure they're educated and at what age is the right time? I almost think you have to start talking to the sooner, the earlier, the better, because traffickers do and can start at an early age. Um, so I, it might seem early, but I would say elementary school age. We have to start having those conversations. And obviously, and you continue to have those conversations. You don't just have it one time. It has to be continuous, you know, continued awareness. And obviously, the conversation you, you have starting in elementary school is going to be different versus middle school, versus high school, versus adults um, because of the different audience. Um, but I think it's I think it's really important that we um, provide our youth with mentors um, with positive, let me stress, with positive mentors. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also encourage and self-esteem, you know, particularly in our African-American girls. Um, we really, you know, need to encourage more self-esteem because for some girls or some people, um, what leads them to, unfortunately, some of these traffickers are they meet them. And this is the first. And if you are a, a youth who you're you're un unfortunately in a home where you're not hearing a lot of positive information, it's very dysfunctional. You're surrounded by, you know, you see an advertisement that says beauty doesn't look like you. You hear negative things. But then all of a sudden you have this person approaching you. They're telling you how beautiful you are, how great you are. And you're a person who's never had anything. And then this person, all of a sudden, they're taking you and they're getting your, your, your nails done for you for the very first time. They're getting your hair done for you for the very first time. They're buying you nice clothes that you've never seen before, never had before. Um, that's going to be you're, you're going to be you're going to look at that person and you you don't think they're doing anything bad to you. And so then when that person does start trafficking them. They don't, unfortunately, they don't see that that person is doing anything bad. They might view that person as you're my boyfriend, you're my girlfriend, because it could be a girl too. Um, and they're seeing that person as they love me. And that's that's what they think is love. So that's why I think it's really important for our kids that they have positive mentors, that we really try to, um, self-esteem is so huge, that we just really try to encourage that in our youth. Yeah. Let's pause for a moment. We'll be right back. So, and Adrian, I was just going to toss it over to you in terms of 
you know, ministry and, you know, all of the things, you know, whether it's connected to a nonprofit or church, mm-hmm. are there things that, uh, you know, we could be doing uh, to for the community to really raise the awareness there? Yeah, I would like to even start within the home, whether it's a, a parent or mm-hmm. an aunt, an uncle. There's a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, and it addresses pornography. And it is a read aloud book. So, you know, sometimes it's like, how do I read something like this to our children? And should I? Are they too young? They're not too young. And this this is an age appropriate book so that parents can start just talking about images because even if they're not seeing them in their home, maybe their friends are showing it to them on their smartphones, which are many computers that, in my opinion, they shouldn't have, but they do. Right. Um, and so I would say just as, you know, a parent or, you know, sibling, someone that wants to say, what can I do even in my own home? Mm-hmm. Get that book. Start reading it aloud to your children. Um also, I think another thing and tactic that pimps and traffickers use in how they manipulate natural tendon, natural desires is healthy and unhealthy relationship characteristics. They start off healthy, like, you know, buying them things, as Akia mentioned, and whining and dining them. But it turns unhealthy, but the person, because they've been so brainwashed to see he's romantic, you know, it's like I'm romanticizing. He's giving me everything I've wanted. When they start to turn, they don't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say giving not just verbal definition of what healthy and unhealthy relationship characteristics are, having them actually exercise different examples, giving them examples, walking them through it. For example, isolation. You could tell them what isolation is, but does it sound like someone's trying to isolate you when he's your boyfriend and says, you know, your parents, they really don't like me and I feel so uncomfortable over there. Can you and I just hang out right now? And then that message continues to change over time where it doesn't seem like isolation, but when you look back, on the outcome, all of a sudden that girl is isolated and she's not with her support unit, whether it's her friends or family. So it's literally giving them the visual image and walking through these case scenarios with them so that they can see it. So should it happen, they were like, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. So I think starting to do that at all ages, because Mm -hmm. it could be a friend that's trying to recruit or groom for, you know, the pimper traffic or stuff like that. And then also, I would say, believe kids when they report. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, if they report something is going on, because if it's a family member, sometimes family members, they don't want to accept that. No, that can never happen. And so in the curriculum that we have that I co-created with another person, Michelle Lathrop, is we actually have them actually list down five safe people. And three of them cannot be family members because maybe you go to your family members and they don't do anything. Go to that school counselor, go to your mentor, someone that can do some something. Uh, and many times as school counselors, there are people who are mandatory reporters, so you know the ball will get rolling. So reporting is huge. If they don't think that anyone is going to believe them, they will hold it in and stay in that very dangerous, vulnerable situation. If I'm on the list as a safe person and someone comes to me, and says something, what should I do? For me, you know, and I definitely want to hear from the others because I know in each state it's so different. There are a couple of things I would one, depending on who it is, report it. If it's a school, definitely report it to the school. You can Department of Human Services. Just because you're not a mandatory reporter doesn't mean that you don't report it. 
um, then depending on the situation, even law enforcement, but it all depends on the situation and not to go to that person. So even if you know that pimper trafficker, don't go to them. You might put that person in danger even more than they are because you're not with them 24-7. And you're not, you might put yourself at risk and because, again, this you're, you're starting to mess with their money. Right. So those would be some recommendations I have, but I would love to hear from the others. I would agree with reporting um, to, um, as you stated, human services and, um, and law enforcement. Um, I also agree that when they look into it, they do want to make sure that that person is going to be continue, continue to be safe where they are. Um, so I may also have to look at, is there another safe place that this person has to temporarily be? And then looking at resources, what resources does this person, do they need? Um, Perhaps they need perhaps mental health, um, mental health services. A lot of times people have been through trauma. So what type of trauma services? And looking to see what your local, um, what's what what your local jurisdiction has. I know here in San Joaquin County, we have what's known as the Family Justice Center, which offers a lot of support and resources. We also have the Women's Center, um, which also offers a lot of support. Um, so I think just looking around in your local community to see what resources are available. Fabulous. Dr. Powell, any additional? I think these ladies have have uh, done a great job. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> you know, this is this is a this is a panel. Wow. So so then um, talk. Can we talk a little bit about, um, you know, now that we know what that there are some solutions, there are resources. And I think. Uh, one of you talked about the lack of resources that we have, um, but really, you know, ideally, let's not recreate the wheel and utilize the the organizations that are there doing the work um, and giving. Because I think in a lot of cases, people don't necessarily connect the dots to let me donate to a nonprofit that's focused on human trafficking and the impact it can make even on the African-American community. Um, and so uh, can we talk a little bit about prostitution versus human or sex trafficking? Um, because I know we talked a little bit about it, um, you know, before we got on the podcast and we were talking about Oregon and, you know, their attempt at um, legalizing prostitution um, and so can you talk a little bit about the the just the, um, you know, how these laws have an impact on what we're doing and maybe what the black community um, can do? So I think that um, I, I think um, to, to set the tone of this, um, not everyone who is in prostitution is a victim of human trafficking, mm-hmm. however, of human sex trafficking. However, human sex trafficking victims are forced into prostitution. So that's that's the difference. I think that when the movement first started, it gave this impression that everyone that was in prostitution um, was a victim of human trafficking. However, having said that, you have those that were maybe they were in humans, they were a human sex trafficking victim as a child. And then as they became an adult, that morphed into them 
going into prostitution, but then the question becomes why. A lot of it has to do with poverty. If we say the average age of entry is between um, the average age between 12 and 14, even though we know that it happens a lot younger as well. But if we go with that average age, now you've got someone who is 25 years old. They've technically kind of aged out. And so they they weren't going to school maybe during that time or it was hit and miss. They didn't have um, the support system that they needed. So they continued into a life that the only life that they knew in terms of of making money. So I think that that, that becomes in, in, uh, ex- extremely important. What is happening across the nation is that they would they would like to see um, full decriminalization of prostitution. So I think when people hear that, and we're talking we'll, we'll, we'll say we're talking about adults now. Because human trafficking, by your age alone, if you are in commercial uh, sex, then you're considered a victim of human trafficking under the age of 18. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are over the age of 18 and it were to go to court, you have to prove the the force, fraud, and coercion. Okay, so having said that, I'm talking about adults. So um, uh, people would say, well, a woman should be able to do whatever she wants with her body. Why should that be a problem? Well, here's the issue. When you look at prostitution in and of itself, regardless of whether someone's forced into it or not, um, there's a lot of trauma that goes into that. You are objectified, not to mention what happens to your body. Because if you're a sex trafficking victim, sex trafficking survivors have said that they've had to have sex with 10 to 20 men a night. What does that do to your body? What does that do to your head when you are an object and you're called everything but a child of God and you are a, you are forced to do un- sex acts that we don't even want to think about? And so when you think of that trauma that, that occurs, when you also look at studies that say that um, uh, women that are in, in the, the sex trade, if they had something else to do, it wouldn't be that. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's because of certain circumstances that they are they are in it. Full criminalization, full decriminalization of prostitution will look like this. So in the state of California, right, I can't open up a weed shop. It's legalized, but in order for I can't open it up in my house. I've got to go through the city. I got to get permits. I got to, you know, the, the whole bit. However, with full decriminalization of prostitution, I can have a brothel legally in my home, okay? That also means that sex buyers are not criminalized as well. When you have a legal system, sometimes people stop looking for the illegal system that's within that legal system. Because when you look at pornography, pornography is legal, but you've got human trafficking victims, minors, and adults that are on screen. So those becomes those be, that becomes the danger in full decriminalization. And I'm going to leave you with this. I was on a panel with a woman, a white woman, who said, you know, they need to decriminalize prostitution. This is what she said, because it will give black women autonomy over their bodies. Now, this was the conversation was about decriminalization. Why did she automatically think black women? So I clutched my pearls 
and and took a deep breath. And I said, well, first of all, African-American women do have autonomy over their body. But what you're saying is that if they make this legal, that that's going to be our first go to. So what you're so what does that say how you see African American women? And I said so what that also means is that I could go to my daughter and say, "Hey, do you want to be an attorney? Or do you want to be uh or do you want to go into prostitution because girl, you know it's legal now." Are you going to say that to your daughter? So this so when I I tell people that because the reasoning that they'll say why it needs to be decriminalized is because disproportionately people of color are an LGBT community are going to jail for prostitution. So if you make it legal, if you decriminalize it, they won't be going to jail. What, what does that say about us? You know, so I think there's, there's a lot of things that we need to look at as this is happening. And you mentioned Oregon and I'm going to let um, Adrian um, take it from here, but this is how this happens, because when I tell people that they're trying to, to decriminalize prostitution, people go like, no, that's not going to happen. OK, well, in Oregon, just this past year, there was a uh, a millionaire sex buyer who was also a sex tourist who lived in Oregon. He wanted to put on the ballot to legalize prostitution. People in not everyone in Oregon knew about it, but then once um, because I work for the National Center of Sexual Exploitation, I knew about it. I'm also in the links as well. I called the Portland chapter of the links. I said, let me tell you what's coming down the pipe for you. And so when they heard about it, they started to rally the community in which Adrian was part of and it did not hit the ballot. So when we talk about what we can do. What we could do is also pay attention to the laws and mm-hmm. don't get don't get blindsided when someone tells you this is going to help the African uh, American community, because that same community that they say that they're trying to protect is going to cause harm. And I'll let Adrian take it from there. Yes. It's really sickening, um, <laughs> you know, when you think of people thinking, oh, this group, oh, they need this help. So even though you, it's not what I want my daughter to do, it's okay for your daughter to do. What they continuously all said was decriminalizing it would make it equal opportunity for all. I'm like, oh, that's the opportunity you think I want? <laughs> and what I saw when they came uh, is that there were many politicians that were supporting this bill. There was a human trafficking uh, uh, commission hearing that they invited victims of, uh, not victims, but they call themselves sex workers or past sex workers to speak and provide their testimony before these politicians as to why they should pass this bill or, you know, they're moving it to the ballot. And the group that invited these individuals to give their testimony, when you had survivors of trafficking wanting to also share, they would not invite them to come and share. So what I first of all saw in the room is the majority of the audience was white. When you saw the sex workers, they were women of color. Um, 
white women as well, but you definitely saw that. So to me, you're like, you're exploiting their stories still. And you had politicians that it's really disappointing because as a politician, you were supposed to hear from both sides of your constituency is that with all the testimony in favor of them decriminalizing this, not one of them asked, is there anyone else in opposition and what is your reasoning for this? Every single politician that was there were all in favor of this, which is scary. So what they don't, what they were not hearing were stories from survivors that would have said, when I was in the life, I would be for this too, because it would help my work. Now that I'm out, I see what I was really in. And I was trafficked, even though I didn't see it at the time, and I would not be for it. So they weren't hearing that. They weren't hearing that in Las Vegas, not Las Vegas, and let me say in seven counties in Nevada, where prostitution is legal, is that $750 million came in of the legal prostitution and strip clubs and all of that, the illegal brought in $5 billion. So where the legal is, the illegal abounds. What they didn't hear is that there are I forget the name of the, the house, but you had individuals that own brothels going into high schools, promoting stripping and prostituting as opportunities for employment. So to then legalize or to decriminalize it here, in Oregon, we have more strip clubs per capita than any other state, including Nevada, because our Oregon Constitution says that nudity is artistic expression. So when you come here, we actually have sex tourism here because even in our strip clubs, it, it's full nudity. Hmm. So therefore, we are already set to have brothels because although the, the strip clubs are legal, they're not necessarily going into high schools now, but it gives it, it could open that door if it were to become legal or to be decriminalized for any of them to go on school career day to promote this as work to our youth. So you're already promoting to a vulnerable population. Wow. Right. And then I think we have to look at who are the buyers, because the reason this is a billion dollar industry is because you have buyers and we've had, um, I'm just thinking we've had youth tell us they've been to houses where the person who bought them, was married and had a family. And they see the pictures, they see the family pictures. So I think that's really important to note. And that's really important as we talk about decriminalization of it and laws and who's making those laws and who's making those decisions, because we have to remember and question who's the buyer. The buyer is not this, this, you know, I think people think of, oh, it's this perverted old man, you know, driving in the car looking for people. It's not. Buyers also come in all all sizes and ages. And so I think that's really, when you talk about trafficking, th that's, we really need to look at that too and talk about who is the buyer. And, wow. and all I have to add to that is that part. <laughs> and when I worked for, for LAPD Work Advice, the majority of the men that I arrested for buying sex were married. Hmm. My goodness. I feel like we just got started. 
and I know we've been talking a while, um, but I mean, it, there's just so much. I, I truly appreciate all of you for providing your perspective and being out there on a day-to-day basis, educating and really s- providing service to victims uh, across the globe, um, the work you all are doing. And, you know, I, I really wanted to get to, I mean, you know, Black women working in this space where you see so many Black people um, and people of color going through this, I'll call it industry, there has to be some level of connection, I think, um, you know, and we talk about trauma and, you know, the generations of trauma that we see. I know Adrian does, I think it's trauma yoga. Is that what you call it? Yeah, yoga, but trauma trauma informed yoga. Trauma informed yoga. See, mm-hmm. I'm learning. I'm learning. Yep. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it. There are so many things that uh, we need in terms of resources, and I know we're running out of time here. But um, I just feel like there's so much more to talk about. I feel like we just scratched the surface, um, and it has been such a pleasure to talk with all of you. Um, so I hope. I hope. Um, that whoever is listening to this, you will follow, connect with Dr. Stephanie Powell, Adrian Livingston, and Akia Pride Polk, and the the organizations that they are working with. Um, and so I do want to just ask quickly if you all have items, uh, books, podcasts, things that you want to talk about, Akia, your uh, agency maybe just give them a quick, how do they get hold or talk to you all? So for my agency, um, being over foster care, we are always recruiting for people to become foster parents. So when people say, how can they help? How can they be a support? We're always in need of people to become foster parents um, for our youth who are in need. And so that phone number is 469-465-KIDS. So 209-465-KIDS. And we are always recruiting for more foster families for our foster youth. Awesome. Thank you. Um, for me, um, first of all, I I think what Akia said was, was just perfect, to be honest with you. Um, for me, um, I have a curriculum that's out there called My Choice, My Body, My Rules. It's for middle and, and high school kids. It could be used in the schools. It could be used in church groups, and you can find it on Amazon. For more resources in terms of of, uh, information about online safety um, and other things, you could go to our website, which is nsexualexploitation.org, and that's for the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Yes, for me, I do have a podcast, Justice, Hope, Freedom, that's iTunes, uh, several platforms. And then my website, the same, justicehopefreedom.com, has my email there, some information about the ministry. And then with the curriculum that I co-wrote, Girl Empowerment Curriculum, it is written in a biblical framework and a speci- specifically for churches, um, not Christian nonprofits or schools, for middle and high school girls, and it's to train the youth leaders or mentors or the women working with these girls. And we do have physical self-defense as a part of it 
because, you know, just from my personal background, I took karate when I was in high school. And my dad later told me as an adult, he's like, you know, your confidence shot up when you started taking martial arts, which then links to what Akia said. You know, you have these pimps and traffickers that will look for someone who has a lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. So within this curriculum, it is that we have, you know, healthy and unhealthy relationships, characteristics, et cetera. But that whole portion of you can defend yourself, you can fight for yourself, so that we've included that as well. Fantastic. I love it. I mean, all of these nuggets, um, I think you talked about a book, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. Yes. Um, we talked about healthy and unhealthy examples and relationships. Um, you know, Akia, I mean, there's so many nuggets that you guys dropped for us today. Um, and thank you so much for all that you're doing in the world. And I just, I'm so grateful. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for highlighting this issue for everyone. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on the Jolly Podcast. Please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.